Okay, hello everyone and welcome to the Actus Podcast, Talking CDI, the nation's only program dedicated to the clinical documentation integrity profession. The Actus Podcast is a bi-weekly program dedicated to bring you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news and information relevant to the CDI profession and to Actus. Today, Wednesday, April 14th, marks our 177th program. Today's featured Actus solution is Actus Online CDI Summer Retreat. A retreat, as most of you know, is a place of privacy, safety, and security, a place where like-minded individuals can come together to withdraw from the day-to-day, study, meditate, learn from each other, take a collective breath, and recharge personally and professionally. That's why we here at Actus and our events committee developed this three-day, two-track Actus Online CDI Summer Retreat. This will be kicking off the first official week of summer. Summer is coming June 23rd through 25th. We're really excited about this program. It's our biggest virtual event yet. It does have two tracks. We're going to have a couple of keynote speakers, as well as the usual uh, excellent bread and butter CDI education, virtual cocktail hour, a platform that will allow, allow some live streaming discussion strings. So uh, check it out at hcmarketplace.com. All right, so my name is Brian Murphy, Director of Actus, the Association of Clinical Documentation Integrity Specialists, and I'm your host for today's program, CDI Role in Readmissions, HRRP Impact. I'm joined today by my familiar co-host at left, Laurie Prescott. Laurie, of course, is the CDI Education Director for us here at HC Pro and Actus. Uh, she's the developer and instructor for our CDI Bootcamp line member of our various committees, including the CCDSO Committee and Actus Advisory Board, board uh, author of our Actus Pocket Guides. Needs no further introduction. Welcome to the program, Laurie. Thanks, Brian. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. We're also joined by another very familiar face uh, who used to serve in Laurie's role um, and has now moved on to uh, iodine. We have with us today Cheryl Erickson. She's a clinical program manager for iodine software in Charleston, South Carolina. She has a wealth of expertise and experience in the mid-revenue cycle with a focus on CDI and UR as well as quality. Cheryl's recognized as a CDI subject matter expert. Um, she's helped us here at Actus quite a bit over the years establish um, best practice and industry guidance through our practice briefs with the HEMA. She currently serves on our CCDS subcommittee, our regulatory committee, past ACTUS board member, has done it all for us, and I'm thrilled to have her back on the program. Welcome, Cheryl Erickson. Thanks, I'm thrilled to be with you guys today. Absolutely. All right, as we always do, we're going to start with a poll question related to today's topic. So I'm gonna go ahead and pull that up. Um, you should be seeing that hitting your screen now. The question reads, does your CDI program review cases for readmissions slash exclusions opportunities? Um, and your options to for this are yes, it's a point of emphasis for our CDI program. Uh, no, but we might refer that on to case management or delegate it in another manner. Um, no, not really a focus for us don't know or maybe not applicable, or other. And uh, for those others or anyone else who would like to send in a response, I'd, I'd love to hear from you. So go ahead and drop that into the, uh, the chat feature there for us, the question feature. 
So again, we're asking you, does your CDI program review cases for readmissions and those exclusions opportunities? Uh, yes, emphasize it. No, but we refer it. Not a focus, don't know, or other. All right, we've got about, I like, always like to have about 70% of our audience have voted and you guys have complied. So we're gonna go ahead and close that out and we will come back to the results in just a few minutes. All right, as I mentioned, uh, Cheryl Erickson's our special guest today. Cheryl, welcome to the show. Thanks again for being a part of the podcast again. Um, let's see, so I'm interested to always to see how our poll question turns out, but um, I, th I think it's probably safe to say that, um, maybe maybe the poll will prove me wrong, but we don't often put CDI and readmissions in the same sentence. Um, some people still think it's purely case management, and maybe that's the best in some instances, but um, can you talk just a little bit about why readmissions are important, specifically as related to the Hospital Readmissions Reduction Program, or HRRP, in case you wonder what that acronym is, and sort of how it can impact hospital reimbursement and, and why it's important at, at, at a high level for us. Yeah, happy to do that, Brian. Um, I think what's important to remember is CMS made a shift from pay for uh, to pay for performance. That's what it was kind of the acronym no, known for, pay for performance. And with this, it was really their hospital value-based purchasing methodology. And one of the methodology that a lot of people are aware of and has been really talked about lately is mortality, but another one that's not talked about as much is readmissions. Um, and so you've got your hospital value-based purchasing program, which takes a closer look at mortality measures. And um, at in about three years from now, it's gonna reintroduce PSI 90. You've got your hack reduction program, which looks at patient safety, and it's heavily built on your PSI 90. And then you have your hospital readmission reduction program. This is the only one of the three hospital value-based purchasing um, mandatory participation programs by CMS that is truly represented by its name. It really only has readmission reduction um, measures within it where the other ones have other things. And how it can affect a hospital is they can be penalized up to 3% um, for a physical year based on their Medicare performance. The, Tricky thing about this one is that where hospital value-based purchasing, there can be an upside as well as a downside because you can get money back if you do really well. And the hack reduction is 1% across the board for the worst performing quartile. The hospital readmission reduction program, it, in, on average, most hospitals are hit with at least half of a point. Um, some years it's as much as 0.74, some years it's as much as 0.61, but that's a reduction off of all Medicare payments for the applicable physical year. That can have big implications when you realize that prior to the pandemic, most hospitals had an operating margin of less than 3%. So if you're losing, um, a half a percent or more of your Medicare payments, that can really affect the bottom line, Brian. Yeah, no question Definitely. about it. Absolutely. Thanks for painting that picture, Cheryl. Mm -hmm. that, that awful picture. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really uplifting for all of us here. Yes, it is. So let's make it uplifting. Um, you know, Cheryl, we don't know until the patient is readmitted that they would fall to the hospital readmission reduction program. So 
how can we as CDIs with our regular daily work help make impact so that we don't fall to those hospitals that are, are losing money? You know, that's a, a great question. And um, the, the one thing that's important to realize with the hack reduction program is it's comparative. You're being compared to um, expectations and you either are gonna be performing better than your cohort, the same as your cohort or worse than your cohort. So there's a comparative aspect to this. And that means if your organization does nothing while others improve their performance, that's going to be problematic because you're going to start falling behind. So it's kind of that old adage of keeping up with the Joneses. It's not something that hospitals can just ignore and expect it to improve. So what we're talking about specifically is there's some condition-specific conditions, acute myocardial infarction, COPD, heart failure, and pneumonia, as well as some procedure-specific conditions, um, coronary artery bypass graft or cabbage, and your total hip arthroplasty or total knee arthroplasties that are included in these readmission measures. So one thing that CDIs do um, is impact the cohort because how we sequence conditions specifically for the uh, condition-specific uh, criteria that AMI, COPD, heart failure, pneumonia is our sequencing. Now, I do want to tell you that back in the day when I was doing these cases, we could kind of wiggle out of some of these by if you had acute respiratory failure and you sequenced your COPD as a secondary diagnosis, it used to get you out of the population. That's not true anymore. If you have um, COPD as a secondary diagnosis and acute respiratory as the heart failure, excuse me, and acute respiratory failure as the principal diagnosis, you still fall into that COPD population. The other thing I want to point out is if you have pneumonia and it's secondary to sepsis, so sepsis is your principal diagnosis followed by pneumonia, you're still in the pneumonia population. So one thing that the uh, CDIs need to be aware of is how your sequencing affects those populations and puts a patient in those particular categories at risk for a readmission. The other thing that we can do is risk adjustment. Um, one of the reasons we see the proliferation of outpatient CDI departments is the ability to capture those diagnoses that risk adjust, which is typically when we think of hierarchical condition categories or HCCs. That's the preferred methodology that CMS uses for risk adjustment. There are some nuances when it comes to both the hospital readmission program and um, the uh, mortality measures, because they're very similar in being outcomes measures, is that not all diagnoses that happen during the indexed admission, so that's when they're being admitted for that AMI, COPD, pneumonia, heart failure, cabbage, or knee replacement, um, will count towards risk adjustment. So you have to do your best on every patient every time, but once that patient is in the hospital, you want to make sure you're aware of what are those risk adjusters and you have those POAs, present on admission indicators, correct, as well as having those significant diagnoses picked up like diabetes with complications. Mm. Correct. I, I was um, excited you brought the whole POA in there because I think sometimes people take POA um, for granted. They think about it for the hacks, but they don't necessarily think about it when it applies to risk adjustment. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah, that's interesting, Cheryl. You mentioned outpatient risk. We we had someone who mentioned that they selected other in the response because they work for an outpatient CDI group, but maybe there is a way that mm -hmm. uh, they could actually help in this area. Definitely. Oh, definitely. Yep. Yeah. Um, you mentioned some of the clinical uh, opportunities there, you know, AMI, COPD, heart failure, pneumonia, but could you 
maybe offer to our audience? What are some of the common exclusions, scenarios they 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 might see or diagnoses they can impact through CDI review? Um, someone uh, this show subject came from someone who was asking about you know NSTEMI type one or type two CHF and AKI severe sepsis and shock present on admission. Um, are, are there some things, some low-hanging fruit, or some or some uh, opportunities you think that are there for the CDI professional? Well, um, one thing that's really important with so many different quality measures, including PSIs and 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 a lot of other hospital value-based purchase measures, is something beyond our control as CDIs, but something we need to pay attention to, and that's patient admission status and where they came from. And the reason why that's important is. If your patients, if you're a tertiary care hospital and you're being transferred from elsewhere um, as an acute patient, so let's say you're an inpatient somewhere and then you're transferred to your hospital, they're not in that population because only the hospital to, um, excuse me, let me back up. If you have a patient and you transfer them out, only the receiving hospital is going to be held accountable for those readmission measures. So if you're transferring them out, that helps you. But unfortunately, if you're that tertiary care, academic medical center, big hospital, things like that, you're the one receiving these patients, which means then you're going to be liable for the readmission that occurs if one does occur for those patients. The other big misnomer that a lot of organizations have tried to um, get out of readmissions is by putting on their discharge status there's a discharge status that says something like discharge with planned readmission. That discharge disposition code is irrelevant when it comes to the hospital readmission reduction program. CMS has its own algorithm that it uses in order to determine if something is a planned readmission or not. And basically any kind of acute care is never considered a planned readmission. So they look at things like planned procedures and things like um, maintenance chemotherapy, rehab, transplant surgery. Those things are planned and they're automatically excluded. But there's nothing really that the hospital can do in a discharge disposition or anything else to say that this is an exclusion. The other thing is too is that your utilization review team is working on is it an inpatient or is it an observation because if the patient is in observation, they're obviously in the outpatient setting and they're not subject to a readmission. Um, but then that's when we go back to what I mentioned a minute ago about sequencing of diagnoses and then the risk adjustment. The exclusions are pretty minimal when you look at readmissions compared to mortality. So um, when you're looking at mortality, there's a whole bunch of other things that kind of risk adjust against that mortality. The same is not true for readmissions. And really, um, other than the potential length of stay and their age, they have to be, you know, Medicare beneficiaries. They have to be at least 65 years of age. So anybody who has um, grandfathered into Medicare because they were a Medicaid recipient, so due to disability, they wouldn't be qualified for this program. So that's one thing to be aware of. You know, another thing I think CDIs aren't always paying attention to is there's a lot of other hospital payment programs out there like the um, ACA, uh, Accountable Care Organizations or Medicare Advantage. Those are usually excluded from this population as well because this is Medicare fee for service and only about a third of patients are Medicare fee for service anymore because we're seeing fewer and fewer patients staying with Medicare fee-for-service. You ever see those um, commercials where they say, hey, sign up for Medicare and we'll get you 
dental and prescription and this and that, you know, that's a Medicare Advantage plan. So we're kind of limited, um, more we're kind of an education or advisor role, I guess, in understanding how readmission works and that it's an outcome measure. And really our focus would be more on the risk adjustment, which again happens mostly through those hierarchical condition categories. There are some exceptions, like with AMI, if you've had a PTCA, um, different types of things like that that risk adjust. But as far as excluding population, really hard to do. Okay. Thanks, y'all. I'm doom and gloom, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> so, no, you're not doom and gloom. But I think, you know, one thing that, that I found um, with CDIs is often organizations are really siloed. So it's really hard to get your hands on information. Where do, you know, the, where does the working CDI go to find out how their hospital's doing for readmissions and perhaps what diagnoses are the biggest issue for their hospital? Because it may only be one cohort that, that you're underperforming in. Where, who do you go to talk to? Who gets that information? That's a great question. So um, typically it's your quality department. One of the best kept secrets, if you will, is something called the hospital specific report. And I tell any of my CDI friends that contact me and say, hey, how do I address readmissions, mortalities, those types of things? Get your hospital specific report. Now there's usually only one person in your organization that has the keys to be able to download reports from QualityNet, because this is a report that comes on a quarterly basis from CMS through QualityNet. And um, that typically the, the chief quality officer, whoever they're designated within your organization, has the ability to access that report. Whether or not they send it out to others is, is, the, is the important thing. Um, and what it's doing is your hospital readmission performance is based on three years of rolling data but it's also gonna show you how you're doing in those different hierarchical condition categories. And they call them CCs because they're just looking at the condition category part of it, not the hierarchical part, which is kind of good for us because it's a lot more generous than having to um, use the hierarchy where one diagnosis might supersede another diagnosis. You can get credit for multiple diagnoses at a condition level, condition category level. So there's actual reports that shows you what percentage of your population is risk adjusting within particular HCCs. That is a wealth of information. If you see that your organization isn't capturing, for example, um, diabetic complications, and that's all been a primary target of outpatient CDI and HCC risk adjust um, people, in, in getting the diabetic with complications coded appropriately and accurately so that you're able to get that risk adjustment. But even things like COPD, um, fluid and electrolyte imbalances, dementia, those kinds of things can risk adjust as well, depression in some of the different ones. But you have to know which one of those codes, what specificity is going to get you into those particular um, CCs. The other thing, though, is this is publicly reported data, so you can go on Hospital Compare and see how your hospital is performing. I, I used to mention this when, when I was more regular on your shows, but in Charleston, literally, we have one hospital across the street from another hospital, and there's billboards because everybody's fighting for market share, and market share is so important nowadays because, um, you know, we want to keep those hospitals beds filled, not, you know, hopefully post-COVID and everything, but we want to, you know, re-engage our patient. And, and so you want to have that market share of patients. And if you're not performing well on hospital compare, 
and somebody uses that for their source of truth, that could be problematic. So um, it is widely available there, but the primary person, if you're looking to impact it, is getting those hospital-specific reports related to your performance on the HAC reduction program. Mm -hmm. Great advice. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Cheryl, a question from one of our listeners. Do you know how often that report comes out? Is it just once a year or is it more often? Are you aware? No, it's more often. It's usually, um, you know, I said quarterly, but maybe I'm thinking pepper data comes out quarterly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'd have to double check on that because now I'm second guessing myself. Lori, do you know off the top of your head? When you said quarterly, that rang a bell, so I think you're correct, but yeah, I'm not a, the best source. <laughs> Fair enough. I don't want to give an answer and be wrong. Well, I guess just to wrap this up, this has been great, Cheryl. Really appreciate the insight. Um, any other advice for our listeners who want to learn more about the HRRP and get started in this area? Any uh, resources they might look at or, or just any final words about the, the topic today? Yeah, the CMS websites have been updated and they are so much better than they used to be because they're a lot more one-stop shopping than they were and they actually have embedded links because back in the day when, when I was working with Lori and, and boot camps together and stuff, you had to go to multiple places just to get a full picture of the hack reduction program, the risk adjustment, the methodology, all of those types of things. So um, the hospital, uh, um, CMS has really good websites and links that will take you to all the different areas where you can go and find out frequently asked questions, if there's any kind of webinars and those types of things. So really you can just do a Google search of um, HRRP and CMS. I usually put like CMS, HHRP, like that to make sure that I'm getting a CMS website and it'll take you to QualityNet and it has all sorts of resources. And it's really nice because it has inpatient versus outpatient. You go on the inpatient and sometimes you have to hunt, it's considered an outcome measure. Like I said, it's often classified like um, mortality. And the, the specification um, reports will tell you about each of the different measures, the ICD-10 codes that are used to get you into a population or the procedure codes that get you into a population. So it gets very granular so that you really have those resources available to you if that's the type of work you're doing as a CDI so you know exactly what CMS is looking for because they spell it all out. Nice. It's nice to have that level of granularity there. And I'm glad CMS is stepping up their game because their their websites were left a little to <laughs> be desired last night. Sure. Yeah, they were. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm looking at the hospital readmission specific report guide and I can't tell you. I'm still looking. Keep talking. Maybe I'll find how often it's released. All right. Well while you're and doing I found that, it, Lori, I'm I found it very quickly. So cool. They have gotten they have gotten better. I'm gonna share our poll results while you're doing that. Again, we asked our listeners today, does your CDI program review cases for readmissions exclu or exclusions opportunities? Uh, 54% majority say no, it's not a focus. Um, only 11% make it a point of emphasis. 17% will refer those to case management. 14% either don't know or say not applicable. And then we did have a few other responses. So any, any surprises here for you, Cheryl, looking at this poll data? 
Um, I'm a little surprised. I'd like to kind of see what are they doing with other hospital value-based things? Are they looking at mortality? Because again, there's a lot of similarities with risk adjustment and so forth. And um, I'm sure Lori still covers this in, in boot camps and stuff is um, inpatient hospital quality is where you can kind of see what potentially is going to come into value-based. So first, can you report it? And then let's tie a financial penalty to it. And the hospital-wide all-cause readmission I wouldn't yes. be surprised if that doesn't move into a mandatory value-based program at some point. And then I think in another few years, we're going to see a lot more hospitals paying attention to this. So if you already are, that's great. You're going to be ahead of the curve. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts here, Laurie? No, I, I am a little disappointed with the no, not a focus, um, but I wonder if perhaps um, it's being focused maybe it's not being communicated down that that's what's happening um right. but um you know the more knowledge you have is that cdi that's looking at the chart every day the more you can offer impact so ask ask what's happening within your hospital and how you can get involved absolutely all right let's switch to our in the news segment so in the news is our regular segment featuring the latest news and industry updates or or columns and articles relevant to the cdi profession i couldn't resist sharing this one today because uh, oh look at the author it happens to be cheryl erickson it's just a just a coincidence but cheryl i, I really like this piece you wrote for icd-10 monitor i'm sharing it on my screen here um, thought it had some very perceptive comments on the struggles CDI specialists can face, especially if they're a nurse transitioning from the bedside. Um, just to quickly summarize, and I'll, I'll read your words if you're not, if you're not too abashed uh, by me doing that, but you, you write in this piece, when I managed a CDI department at an academic medical center, I was lucky to grow my CDI team and double the number of staff we had during my tenure. I wasn't able to find experienced CDI professionals who so I hired from within. Um, even though my HIM director was a nurse, she expected the new CDI staff to be proficient within six weeks. Nurses transferring from one unit to the next, say from med surge to the ICU, usually only received about a four to six week orientation. So she thought the same should apply to CDI. Um, and you note that this perception of how long it takes to become a CDI professional uh, has persisted. Uh, you reference your days back here with Actus, um, people attending the boot camp at various stages in their orientation from just started to those working in the field or almost a year. Uh, those who are starting were often deer in the headlights, not knowing what questions to ask. Um, and you talk here too about the, the being uh, guilty of overlooking the mental toll of transitioning from a role in which you're task-based, you know, like a, a nurse role where you're following orders, making assessments, caring for a patient, uh, to a role in which your worth is measured by the number of records you review, whether your DRG is accurate, how many of those had a query, whether the provider agreed, what the financial impact was, and just how different that is as a transition. Um, and really, uh, I, I like your points here, too, about how the reason, you know, why, why you don't advocate for directly measuring query financial impact, because it, it just doesn't tell the whole story. And, and frankly, you know, that ties into what we talked about today, just on the sort of the downstream impacts that might not be immediate financial returns that CDI can make and, and how it can miss things like education and um Great piece here. So if you're if for our listeners, again, as I always do, I'm going to link to these stories in the in the show notes. But uh, 
Cheryl, I guess just what prompted you to write this piece and, and how do we continue to make the case for CDI as, as more than just chart review tied to reimbursement, but also the, the, the broader impact here? Well, thanks for choosing to feature this article, um, and I'm glad that, that you enjoyed it. Um, you know, this actually came in from a response to another article I had written and somebody was saying, hey, I'm a CDI manager and I've got all these new people. So they really prompted me. So I think it's so important to call out that just like you listen to your Actus um, podcast suggestions, you know, I do the same thing in some of the articles that I'm writing as well. And so we definitely want to be representing the, the industry and hearing where the, their thoughts are and, and seeing if we can help move the needle forward. I know that there is a lot of work going on right now. Everybody feels like we need to change our metrics. We're just not sure how to do it. We're kind of caught in this limbo between um, showing our CFOs what they need and this whole return on investment versus we do so much more than a direct financial impact. Um, and, and I think we would all love to solve this puzzle. We just don't know how to do it yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a slow evolution, absolutely. You know, I, I love the article because working with new CDIs, one of, one of the things I always tell them is the transition to the role of CDI was one of the steepest learning curves I ever climbed. Um, it's it's different as as you talked about in your your paper, and I think that um, a lot of times we attract people that are very accomplished in their career, who think that they're not going to be challenged by this role, and that you know, thinking that somebody can have you know attend a four day boot camp or sit with somebody one on one for two three days and and capture in their minds everything that this entails is it is not the best expectation and you know this paper helps communicate that um and brings that to light which i think is really important for managers who are trying to ask for more time to train their staff or more resources to train their staff um, because the assumption that somebody can just you know watch watch it be done once and jump in and do it is an unfair expectation for everybody so i appreciated the article on that level yeah. four to six weeks that's a big that's a that's a big uh mm -hmm. jump there from going straight from nursing or him or him coding straight into cdi expected to be proficient so check out cheryl's article for a for a fresh take on that and a positive one all right last thing i wanted to to uh, unveil to our listeners here just in time for april 1st we have unveiled a new actus logo so in case you haven't seen it, it's right here on your screen. I, I really like what our graphic design team has done. This is going to be the official logo of Actus going forward, incorporating a unicorn, an astronaut flinging a fireball uh, as they circle the planet. What do you th what do you think of this, Laurie? Do, do you think this captures everything about Actus that you'd like? Is that you riding the unicorn, Brian? Uh, actually, it is. Yes, that is me. Okay. Well, then it's perfect. <laughs> it's perfect. Well, this was actually, you know, an April Fool's joke. Um, we hope you guys caught the joke. Maybe you just saw the logo and fainted, but this article came out on April 1st. We did actually unveil our new Actus logo, and this is it right here. It's not that much different. We, we updated it a little bit, changed, muted the colors slightly, changed the font a little bit, uh, and updated it throughout the website to make it a little more modern looking. I was just telling Cheryl and Laurie before the show started that uh, 
when our graphic design team unveiled this logo, I said, oh, it looks great, but I, I don't know if I would necessarily know it was different. And I said something like an astronaut on a unicorn might be a lot different. And they sent me this later on and I almost had a heart attack. <laughs> and then uh, Linnea Archibald, our editor, put it in the, the, the note and CDI strategy. So that was, that, was a, that was a pretty good April Fool's prank, I thought. All right. Well, that is going to do it for today's edition of the Actus Podcast. We're going to be back here again in two weeks um, for a show uh, on technology. What is computer-assisted physician documentation, or CAPD? Hope you can join us there. Remember, um, you can listen to our show recordings anytime on the website or via the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, or Spotify. As always, if you have suggestions for future guests, ideas about the format of the show, that's how I got this one. Uh, you can send me an email at bmurphy at actus.org. Thanks again, Cheryl, for joining and sharing your expertise today. And uh, for everyone else, we'll see you back here again in two weeks. <laughs>